Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's well, message. good morning, everyone. I am Brian Wilmorth. I'm the senior pastor here. If we haven't met before, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, and we hope you feel a welcome. And as again, Jake said in the video, I'd love to connect with you. If you're willing to share a little bit of your story so we can get to know you, we'd, we'd love to do that. You can do that at the Connections desk after, after the service. Uh, I have a couple other things that I want to share with you. Um, first and number one, um, thank you for all of those who volunteered yesterday for our Fall Fest. Um, it was awesome to just see our church step up, contribute, really create a, a fun and welcoming environment. So if you were a part of that, thank you, thank you. It, it was awesome to see uh, just what happened last night. So again, thank you for all of your commitment to that. Uh, the next thing, so that person on the video is Jake Harper. He's our new student life pastor. We're so excited that he and his wife Joanna are here. Um, one thing that you may or may not know is they are currently pregnant and uh, they're due next month, uh, or actually this month, it's October. Oh boy. So this month, <laughs> Anytime. Um, yeah. So October, they're due at uh, the end of the month here. And uh, what we want to do is we would love to be able to bless them through a baby shower. So ladies, I'm talking to you. We do have a baby shower coming up. And there are a few of these little, little flyers are going to be at the Connections desk. So if you would uh, grab one of these, we'd love to invite you on October 14th. Two to four here at the church, we want to have a baby shower for the Harpers. So ladies, grab one of these. You'll see the registry list there. So if you want to contribute via gift as well, that's something you can do. So grab one of these after service at the Connections desk and put on your calendars October 14th, that Saturday, two to four here at the church. All, all you ladies are invited and welcome to attend. And this would be awesome just to bless the Harpers. Um, we're, again, we're so glad they're here and we're excited for them to become parents and to step into this next chapter together with us. So um, grab one of those and, and mark that on your calendars October 14th. All right, the last thing I want to share with you about is uh, several weeks ago, um, Brian and Allie Messmore, they were longtime members of our church, and Brian served as an elder. They felt the call to transition to some you know, church closer to their neighborhood, and so he stepped off the elder team. Well, that means we're ready to begin our elder nomination process. And so what that means is we're going to be looking to um, seek out who God might have for us to step onto the elder team. Now, our elders, if you're familiar with this, or maybe you're not, our elders are the primarily, primary governing team for our church. They are the leaders that steward and shepherd the whole of our church. So their primary responsibilities focus on shepherding, taking care of our church family, on teaching, making sure that what I say and what's happening and uh, how we're leading people forward is all sound and biblical. And, and then they're responsible for vision. Uh, we're, we're paying attention to what God is leading us to do and in moving forward in this next season of our church. And so those are their responsibilities, that the elder team is meant to oversee and administrate that and, and make sure that our church is heading the way that God wants us to head. And so we're going to be asking you, your role in the elder nomination process is to nominate individuals who, who could be someone to step on the elder team. And so if you're kind of like, oh man, how do I, how do I even know or evaluate that? Well, two scripture texts that talk about eldership, I refer you to those to just kind of get a sense of what, what are the character attributes? What kind of person is this man who, who might be an elder? And so 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, 
That's one scripture text to go look at. And then Titus 1, 6 to 9. These are the two primary texts where you can kind of get a sense of, okay, here's what an elder looks like. And so what we're going to ask you to do is in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll advertise when the, the actual window of nomination opens. But I want you to begin prayerfully asking the Lord, is there someone that you're, you would want me to nominate? Is there someone that comes to your mind that you think might be a good fit for this role and for this team? And so meditate on those two scriptures and, and kind of think, who comes to mind? Who, who's someone that fits what this is painting, this picture, and who fits our culture and the vision that we're going after? Is there somebody that, that rises to the surface for you? So in a couple of weeks, we'll actually open the window and tell you how you can submit a name, but there will be a window of uh, a few weeks where we're we're soliciting names from people who might be good to step onto the other team. Now, the one other thing I want to tell you is this process is very involved. Um, You know, once we open the window and then say, okay, we've we've closed that, it's going to be about six months for us to vet and work through what God might be asking us to bring someone on to this team. So uh, just know that this process involved is lengthy. And so if you're kind of like, oh, okay, how quickly is it? So it's a long time. And, and because we take it seriously. And so, again, here's the ask right now. Prayerfully seek who you think, who God might be raising up to step onto this elder team. And would you just pray, prayerfully ask about that? And then we'd love to hear those names submitted in the window of time in the next couple of weeks. So more info to come but be prayerfully seeking how the Lord might be leading you and our church. Sound good? Okay. Well, now as we turn our attention to God's word, can we pray together with one another? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us um, instruction through it and, and equipping through it, but thank you that it transforms us. Lord, when we come to read about who you are, about who we are, we are changed. And so, God, as we step together to your word, we want to hear from you. We want to be transformed. We want to be different. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak and to teach us. Thank you. Thank you that you do. Thank you that you meet us where we are. Lord, we pledge ourselves to you afresh, and we love you. We delight in you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, as we continue in our series in the book of Colossians, um, we're, we're in this series to, to explore what does it look like to be deeply rooted in Christ. And, and it's interesting to me that we're doing this at you know, autumn time, at, at harvest time, because this is kind of a special time for me. Um, our, our family, we love fall and um, we, we enjoy the season, but more kind of nuanced for me is this is harvest time for farmers, and so I grew up in, a, in um, two families that, that in my extended families had farms. And so we would go regularly t- to be on the farm, especially at this time. Because you know, all the farmers, they're, they're getting their combines out and they're harvesting. And so that was always exciting to me. So I'd, I'd ride with my grandpa and, and, and be in the combine with him. And, and so that was just a regular pattern for, for me growing up. And now our kids, we get to do that with them. We, we take a day every fall where we do combine day. And so it's, it's super fun. And so um, I remember one time, I don't remember how old I was exactly, but I remember asking a question to my grandfather while I'm riding in the, in the combine. Something like this. It's like, how do, how do the crops grow? And, and I wasn't asking like the mechanical kind of like, I know you, you 
put seeds in the ground and you till it and, and you, you spread fertilizer and all this. I kind of knew all that, but it was more like, how does all this happen? And I don't remember his response exactly, but it was something like this. Well, God's the one who makes it grow. You know, we, we do our work, we work hard, but he's the one that makes it grow. And what strikes me is, is farmers, like, they, they do work hard. They are hard workers. Like, they, they get up early and, and often go to bed late and, and, and working hard manual labor. Like, it's intense work. But fundamentally, farmers cannot make anything grow. They create the environment. They, they kind of help things kind of be the way that they're supposed to be. But when push comes to shove, they're wholly dependent on something else happening. Nothing a farmer does guarantees a crop to grow. And that strikes me how that idea actually is an analogy for us as well when it comes to our faith. When, when we think about how our faith happens, how we, we have a part to play. We, we do a bunch of stuff, but push comes to shove when it's all said and done. We don't make anything happen. And so I want to wrestle with the question today, how is it that we actually grow? Like, how do we grow in our faith? How is it that when we come to church, when we go to a Bible study, when we practice some of these spiritual practices, like, how are we actually growing? That's what Paul wants to wrestle with to, to help us understand today. Uh, and so if you've been with us in this series, we've been walking through Colossians, and, and we heard week one, this call to live a life worthy of the Lord. And, and that was, that's a high call, like, man, can any of us do that? And, and, and we, we were to wrestle with that. But, but Paul kind of goes and says, like, why should we live a life worthy? It's because Jesus is supreme. He, he's above everything. He's creator. He's redeemer. He's sustainer. He, he holds all things together. And so he's above everything. And that's why we should. And when we do, it does make a difference. Like our lives are, are changed. We, we look different. But all of that's kind of building this question of, well, how? Like if we're supposed to do that, here's why. Here's some of the difference it makes. But how does it actually happen? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. We're going to finally get to the heart, like the, the thesis statement, if you will, of the entire letter. And Paul's going to show us, here's how we grow. Now, if you're wondering, it's like, well, why should I grow? Like, what's, what's that all about? And I'll just give you this kind of brief little thing, and it will blow past more than anything. But if you're kind of wondering, it's like, why? Because in Jesus, we find life. It's in him that we find the life that we are truly looking for. Now, if you're here today and you're kind of like, I'm not sure I believe that, haven't really seen it, I hope you get a picture, even a little bit, of today how that is true. Like, why should we go after this? It's because in Jesus, we find life. It's in him that we find what we are truly looking for. And so I hope that comes through even today as we answer this question. How do we grow? So I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 15. So if you're kind of getting used to your Bibles, it's in the back portion. It's one of these letters. You kind of flip a few pages and it goes real fast through it. 
Um, But the book of Colossians, chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. All right, follow along with me if you would. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, on the elemental spirits of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made it a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. So this is a loaded text. And again, this gets to the heartbeat of the entire letter, what Paul's been working towards. So what I want to do is I want to highlight a couple of key things in those first two verses that help us understand how do we grow. So back to verse 6, if you would go with there with me. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That's how Paul starts out this section. Just as you receive Christ Christ Jesus as Lord. And what he's talking about here is you received Christ Jesus. When you come to faith in him, you received him. And you received him in a particular way. Now, when we hear this word received, maybe if you've been in church, you kind of think of the the typical thing we think of in the 21st century. It's like, oh, I received him. I, I prayed a prayer. I accepted Christ. I made a decision. And that is absolutely part of what Paul is talking about here. Like, that is certainly included. But Paul has something a little bit more nuanced in mind. When he says received, he does mean that, but he actually has another thing kind of in his his thought process. Because this word received has a bit of an echo to Judaism and the receiving that someone who's walking out a Jewish faith would do. And what that means is, is instruction. So as kids grow up, they go to school and they're, they're learning about all kinds of things in life, but particularly they're learning about the first five books of the Bible. They call that ter- the Torah. And here they're learning about the Torah. They're learning about their history. They're learning about the instruction that God gives and they're being instructed in that. And so when Paul says like received, he has this kind of thing in mind. You received in the same way that Jewish boys will receive. That they were taught, they were brought up in the faith. And so he has this in mind, like instruction. And so it's not simply just like, oh, I made a decision. I prayed a prayer. He has a deeper kind of thing in mind. So this word received kind of echoes this instruction kind of thing. So what is it they are instructed in? Like he's talking to the Colossians, you've received Christ Jesus. What have they been instructed 
in. Well, I think there's three things that we see in the text that help us understand what Paul's talking about. And what we're going to see is that this is, an, is a pointer to the gospel. We have received Christ Jesus by the gospel. And there's three aspects in this text that I want to highlight. These aren't the only three that exist, but they're the three that Paul talks about in this text. So the first one, let's jump to verses 11 and 12. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. And yes, we're going to talk about that briefly, okay? So circumcision, not by human hands. Your whole, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. But then verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So what Paul's doing here is in these two verses, he's highlighting two practices, circumcision and baptism. Now, circumcision, you know, it's kind of like, okay, that's a little weird. But this was a key practice for the Jewish faith. On on the eighth day, a, a Jewish boy would be circumcised after he was born. And this was an identity marker. It said, like, you belong to this people. You belong to Israel. This is part of your identity. Paul is taking that concept and, and notice, like, put off your, like, you're cutting off something. Again, there's, there's the imagery, like, putting off your old self. That, that's what he's saying. Like, circumcision was a sign to something deeper. Christ did that deeper thing. Your old self was cut off, and you are now identified in a new way. And that's where baptism comes in. So last week we had baptisms and we talked about the meaning of baptism and kind of explored that. But I'll, I'll remind us of this one idea. Baptism is an identity marker. It's a way that we say, I'm aligned with Jesus. Like I'm putting off my old self, being buried, and I'm being brought to a new self, being raised up with him. So circumcision and baptism both are about identity. And that's the first aspect This idea of of our identity in Christ is now, we're new. We we have a new identity. By this spiritual circumcision, by baptism, we are aligning ourselves with Christ. We are now new people. We have a new identity. We belong to him. And that's the other part. It's not just like, okay, we receive something. Like It is completely in connection to Jesus. It's in relationship to him. So this identity, it comes from Christ. Paul summarizes this in another way. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you've, you might have heard this verse if you grew up in church. But this, this is just, it packs a punch right here. So verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. He's talking about us. We are new creations. In Christ, when we receive the gospel, we are made new. We are a new creation. We have a new identity. And that is the first aspect of the gospel. We have a new identity. And you see that in this text. That's what Paul is trying to get to. So that's the first one, identity. The second one is this. You find it in verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So here, Paul's bringing in a whole bunch of different ideas. And so maybe just to like tie it all together, here's the word that I want you to think of, renewal. Renewal. This is the second aspect. So you heard forgiveness. He forgave us our sins. He canceled our debt. Like we're in debt to him, like we're in debt because of all that we've done. Like he canceled all that. He has made us alive. We were dead and now we're alive again. And we were, we were oppressed by powers over us, including death itself. Like we were subject and now we have been set free. All of this is renewal. It's a renewal of who we are. It's a renewal of our bodies, of our lives. Like now things are made new. Back to 2 Corinthians. We are new creations. So our identity, we, we receive our identity from him. We are made new in him. There is renewal. And that comes in forgiveness, being set free, being made alive. This, this, all the gospel points to this renewal. And that's one, the second thing that Paul is getting at. It's like the gospel has renewal within it. We are made new. So receiving, the, receiving Jesus as, as Lord means we get a new identity. And receiving Jesus as Lord means we are renewed by him. But all of this happens by a word that's not in the text. And this is the third one. This word is grace. Paul doesn't actually use this word in our text. Like you didn't see it in there. But did you notice the language that he was using? Who's the primary agent? Who's the one doing the work? It's Jesus. It's in him. He does. He forgives. He nails it to the cross. He makes us alive. All of the language is about God doing the work. And it's all passive for us. We have been made new. We are being this. Like, it's all passive on our part. So what, what he's pointing to here is this idea of grace. We, all of this happens by grace. We don't do anything to warrant it. We don't do anything to merit it. We can't make it happen. It all happens because of his free gift of grace. The gospel, we receive Christ by Grace. Ephesians chapter 2, again, a, a familiar verse if you grew up in church, but here Paul is just capturing it in, in, in a statement. For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace, and it's only by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, but is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not, it's not us. We don't do anything to warrant it. We can't make it happen. We can't earn it. It's just a free gift. Yes. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> Yay, right? It's, it's a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't warrant it. Yay, grace. And that's what it's all about. We receive in Jesus a new identity. By receiving Jesus, we are made new. We are renewed. And all of that happens 
by grace. We receive Christ by grace. And so when Paul talks about these three aspects, he's helping us see like this, this is how you've received and you've been instructed in this. This is the gospel. This is how you've received Christ. So what Paul wants to say is take all of that. This is the gospel and and there's more to it than just these three aspects, but he's talking about them in this text. This is how you've received Christ. So then, what? What then? What's next? Let's go back to verse 6. So back to verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Just as you received him, continue to live in him. Continue to walk out your lives in him. But then what does he say? He explains further. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. So what Paul is saying here is the same way that you received Christ, continue to live in him. That's what he's trying to point to. You have received Christ by the gospel, continue to live in him by the gospel. That is what he wants to point to. So we live the same way that we receive Christ. We continue to live in him. It's by the gospel. So what does that look like? If we receive by the gospel, we continue to live by the gospel. What does that look like? Well, let's look at the three aspects again. And we're going to tie that to verse 7, what Paul's talking about here. So the first one, identity. We are rooted in our identity. We're rooted in his identity. And so when Paul's talking about the gospel and brings up identity, and he says, be rooted in him, he's talking about our identity. He's talking about his identity. And so we can look down at verses 9 and and kind of see this play out, 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. See, Jesus Christ, he's, he's God. He's fully God, became fully human, and he is Savior. He's creator, he's redeemer, This is who he is. This is his identity. He is God. He is Lord. And all of God is represented right there in Jesus. You don't have to look farther than him to find God. But then what does Paul say next? Verse 10. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is fully God. He is everything that we we find in the Godhead in, in Christ We are made full. So all that we need is found in him. And so we hear identity. This is who who God is, and this is who we are in light of him. And that's what the gospel does. It shows us our identity. We are to be rooted in that. So we hear repeatedly, this is who I am. This This is what God thinks of me. We hear our identity in an ongoing way. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like, okay, here's who you are, now move on. Like, no, 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 be rooted in that. So thinking about a tree, that's part of our logo for this series, and it's got roots that go deep. We're to be deeply rooted in Christ, in our relationship with him, and hear our identity over and over and over again. Just like a tree that pulls water and nutrients deep from within the soil, That's how we live our lives 
nourished by our identity in him, by hearing the gospel over and over again. We want deep roots in him, in our identity in him. This is what the gospel does. So we're rooted in our identity. That's the the first one. The second one, renewal. We are built up and strengthened in our faith by renewal. So if you kind of switch metaphors, because that's what Paul's kind of doing here. He's using this picture of a tree being deeply rooted. But then he says built up, kind of like a house, right? Well, what do you do? You, You have got a foundation, and you build from that foundation up. You build walls, you build a roof, you, you add all the furnishings. You're built up by this renewal, by this playing out of the foundation. And so all of these things that Paul talks about, being set free, by being transformed, by, by having our, our sins forgiven, this debt canceled, like all of these things is the process of being changed. We are renewed. And this is how we build up. We build up in him by being changed, by allowing these truths, these ideas to take hold in our lives. We are renewed. But notice it's not us that's doing it. It's him. So Philippians chapter 1, another a great letter that, that Paul um, explores some, some incredible things with the Philippian church. But here he starts out the letter in verse 6, and, and he says these words. I've got to find my place here. Here, okay. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's Jesus who's working, and he's going to carry on this work that he started until the very end. He's going to build us up. He's not going to just kind of frame the house and say, oh, that looks good enough. Like, no, he's going to go all the way to the end. We're going to continue in the process of being renewed of being set free, of being forgiven, of being made alive. It is by renewal the gospel continues to work. So that's two, aspect two. We, we hear identity, we're rooted in that, and we're built up by renewal, the work that, that Christ is doing. And all of that happens by the third one, grace. It's all by Grace. We, we receive from Christ the work that he's doing. It's not something we earn. It's not something we make happen. It's, it's by grace, by his work in us. And, and Philippians capture that. He's the one that's doing the work. We receive from him. All of this is happening by grace. And so, back to the Ephesians concepts, like by grace we are saved. By grace we are being saved. By grace we will be fully saved. It's by grace, it's by the work that he is doing in us. This, this is how we continue to live. So we receive from him grace, but we continue to operate in grace. We receive and participate in grace. So those three aspects are still in play. It's not that, okay, we we hit him once and now we're done. Like, no, 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 that's how you continue to live. Rooted in your identity in Christ being built up and strengthened by renewal, and all of it happening by grace. Now, the one other thing that Paul wants to address is is our tendency as human beings is to not live in that reality. I don't know about you, but um, if you have been walking with Jesus for a longer length of time, like you probably have felt this tension. It's like, okay, I received Christ, but 
Maybe I don't always live in light of that or, or live in the gospel. Uh, for me, like how I experience it, is like I, I accepted Christ, I came to faith, and, and then I, I tried to work really hard. Got to do all these Christian-y things. And that's the temptation. We, we receive Christ one way, but then as human beings, we kind of want to go back to something that we can control that we can, can leverage, we can use to grow and to mature and to grow deeper in Christ. Like, we do it in our own strength. And so I want to look at verse 8 because I think Paul is trying to get at this reality. So uh, verse 8, he's talking about, you know, be rooted and built up, strengthen your faith, overflowing with thanksgiving. And then he says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So what Paul is talking about here is, is this is a little bit of a unique kind of thing. Like, what's this whole philosophy thing that he's referencing? See, he kind of throws out, don't be taken captive. That's a very unique kind of word, but it literally means like take captive, like enslaved. Like, don't be enslaved by something else. And so he references this philosophies. Well, what is he talking about? I think what Paul is, is not saying is that philosophy and reason and anything human must be thrown out. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because Paul writes his letters using a standard kind of form for letter writing at, at that time. And he leverages that in intentional ways. He uses the form itself to teach. So he's using a, a, an agreed upon, reasoned out form that was common in the day. Or if you look in the book of Acts, when Paul's in, in Athens, he, he, he's speaking and, and speaking on the terms of, of the common conversation of the day, which was very philosophical in Athens. And he's, he's stepping into that and using reasoning and, and highlighting things that people already knew to help them get to the gospel. So Paul's not coming in saying all reason is bad, all philosophy is bad. He's, he's not saying that. He uses it himself. So what is he saying? He's saying that there should be nothing that overcomes Jesus. Nothing that takes his place on the throne. Because you notice how he finished the verse? It's like trusting in these kinds of things, human reason and, and, and spiritual forces and all that stuff, rather than on Christ. Christ should be supreme. Everything should, should flow from him. Everything should, should tie to him. He gets primacy. That's what Paul's trying to point to. He's saying, don't be taken captive by something that's going to put something else over Jesus. That's not the way this works. Now, we, we have other religions that, that kind of float around. Like, you know, we're, we call ourselves Christians and, and operate according to the Christian faith. There's Judaism. There's Islam. There's all these other Eastern religions too. Like, that, that's true for us. But I would, I would argue that for us today, it's in a different kind of setting. I don't know that the temptation is quite like which religion is just right. We, we kind of just choose. I think there's some actually deeper worldviews and, and philosophies, if you will, at play for us. And, and you could probably capture it in a few different ways. I want to capture it in this way. This dichotomy between legalism and license. Legalism and license. So what do we mean by legalism? Legalism is the, the approach where it's like I'm doing to make something happen, to earn, 
to, to secure standing. Like, I'm doing good things so I can go to heaven. And if I get more good things than bad, then, then I'm good. Like, keep, keep it tipped this way, right? And if I just do the right things, if I do enough of them, whatever those things are, then, then I'm going to be good. That's, that's legalism, right? Like, it's, it's this, like, I'm, I'm doing to secure my standing. But license, on the other hand, says it doesn't matter. It's just kind of like, whatever, you know, like, just do what feels good and enjoy it and, and kind of go along for the ride. Because in the end, it's just going to be what it's going to be, whether that's good or bad. And so there's just this freedom, this, this liberty to kind of do it to the furthest extent. I think that's what license is. I contend that as human beings, we lean towards one of those rather than the gospel. We, we operate in, in legalism. It's like, okay, I received Christ by the gospel. Like, great, he made everything net zero. Like, I'm starting fresh. Now I've got to do all the good things to keep in good standing. Legalism. Or license just says, like, oh, he's taking care of it all. Like, I don't have to worry about a thing. I can just kind of float, and, and I'm going to go to heaven because he saved me. Neither of these is what Paul is getting at. And I think these are the two temptations primarily for us today. We might be tempted by other worldviews, other religions, sure. But really, I think it's a deeper kind of reality. It's this self-determination, this self-actualization. Like, I, I'm choosing how this all goes. Like, and that, that is what, like, we let get over Christ. We put on the throne. Like, this is the, the framework that we tend to operate with. It's one of these two things. But Paul wants to come in and say, no, 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 no. It's not these two things. Just as you receive Christ by the gospel, that is how you continue to live in him. And the gospel charts the third way. It is not legalism and it's like you've got to earn everything. But there's stuff we do and we participate in. And it's not license and it doesn't matter. Like, it does. It's all about letting Christ do his work to bring us to a new identity, to be renewed all by his grace. So, bottom line, what I want you to hear is this. Just as we received Christ, continue to live in him. That's what we're to do. It's by the gospel. These three aspects you see within the text. But you might be wondering, it's like, okay, that's helpful. Like, we, how do we grow? We grow by the gospel. But what does that actually look like? Let me give you a few suggestions related to these three aspects. So how do we continue to live in him? Well, number one, thinking about identity, being rooted in our identity, we continue to study the scriptures. We study the Bible because in it, we're taught our identity. When you read this, you get a picture of who Christ is and who we are. So continue to read it, to understand and soak in it, not just to like check a box, but to actually like take hold of your identity. This is who you are. You are redeemed. You are a child. You belong to him. This is your identity. This is what comes out when you read this. So this practice, reading the scriptures, is not just something we do because we're supposed to, but in it we discover our identity. And that's, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to hear our identity afresh and over and over again. It's our identity. 
So number two, aspect two, renewal. I think this is the practice of prayer, but in a particular way. I think it's the intentional reflection on our lives and bringing that to the Lord. So if it's imagine like you were to take an evaluation of your life. It's like, here's how I spend my time. Here's what my character looks like. Here's just how I live. If we were to put that up against the scriptures, where would there be alignment? Like, oh yeah, okay. I, I see some success here. And where is there not? It's like, ooh, I don't look like that. Right there is a moment where I think God wants to grow us. And what we're to do with that is to come to him and say, all right, Lord, I see this. I'm now coming to you. I'm praying, change me. Renew me. Transform me. And we do that by surrender. And that is what prayer is. It's the practice of surrender, of submitting, of letting him do his work. And so do that intentionally. Like evaluate your life. Take time to reflect and say, all right, where am I doing well and where am I struggling? Bring that to the Lord in prayer and allow him to begin to change you because he will. So that's renewal and it's through prayer. And then finally, grace. What does grace look like? I think grace is the way that we carry all of this. So here's what I'd like you to do is I'd love for you to evaluate your motives. What is moving you to do any one thing? Is it out of a legalistic, like, oh, I better shape up or else? Or it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. This just feels good, so I'm going to go with it. What's our motive? Check your motive. The motive is, is the love of God. He loves you as you are, who you are. He's created you, and he wants you to be all that he has created you to be. It's his love that moves us. So will you let him move you? Instead of practicing, doing these, these spiritual activities, like doing them in a particular, like, I got to check a box, or, or I, I, this is what's expected of me, can we step in and see this as the way that we meet with the Lord and allow him to pour out his grace on us? So check your motives. Evaluate. It's like, why am I doing this? What's pushing me? And be honest with yourself. This is how the gospel takes hold in our lives in a continual way. Just as we've received Christ, we continue to live in him. It's by the gospel. It's by the aspects the gospel brings. And our practices, they flow from this. So, we're going to explore this in more detail as we de continue in the letter. And, and Paul's going to flesh out the implications as we go. But here's, here's what I want you to see today. It's the same way that we receive him, we continue to live in him. Is that true for you? The practices that you do, that you, you take hold of, do they help you get closer to Jesus? Or are these other philosophies intruding? Let the gospel be where we camp. It's by the gospel that we do anything. Just as we've received Christ, continue to live in him. Would you join me in prayer?